Hey everyone, we hope you're having a great week. My name is Eric Johnson, and along with my wife Candace, we are the lead pastors of Studio. We are based in Greenville, South Carolina, and we just want to take a moment and say hello and say thanks for listening to this podcast. So with that, let's get right to it. All right. Thank you. All right. Good afternoon. Do we have any happy people in here? Good. Well, we, we really did miss you guys. And uh, this last six weeks have been quite a journey for Candace and I and the family. I went back three times to California and because of my mom and then obviously Candace's grandma. So if you came in during the service, uh, we've been in and out a lot for the last uh, six weeks. And it felt so good to land. It felt so good to celebrate my mom and Candace's grandma. And it felt so good to land back in Greenville, be in our home and our city and to be back with you guys. I've been waiting all week to be here with you. And just want to again express our gratitude and our thanks for so many of you have been covering us in prayer encouraging us. Uh, phone been blowing up in many ways, DMs and all of that. Just been so many of you just been covering us in this season of honestly a lot of loss and a lot of grief, but a lot of beauty at the same time to celebrate two really important women in, in our lives. And so again, thanks so much for those of you that just encouraged us up until this point and uh, talked to some of you before the gathering today and said, we're still going to cover you and pray for your family. You have no idea what that means. I know it's a very Christian thing to say, oh, I'm covering you in prayer. But when you need covering, you feel all of it. So just want to say thank you for covering us in prayer. It's been an absolute gift, and we feel supported and covered by you guys. So thank you. Look at your neighbor and say, you've done well. You've done well. Well, I really am looking forward to sharing today. You know, especially for those of you that are brand new to studio, we've been around for about seven months now. We did start last fall with some one-night gatherings. And I don't know how long this goes on because I've never done this before as far as planting a church. But it feels like every week we're just putting another block in the wall or another block in the foundation that will really chart the course and really determine where we go and how we build and what we do. And I know many of you are asking, so where are we going? What's next? And I just want to say that every week we're literally adding something to the foundation. And what we do in these early days really does chart the course. It sets the tone. It creates the culture. And we're excited. Probably in the next month, month and a half, we're going to take a whole Sunday, Candace and I and the team, we're just going to share a little bit more vision of where we're going, what we're dreaming about, and some specific as far as the church part of us, but also the creative part of us, the entrepreneur part of us, as well as the community and the advocacy part of us. So that's coming up probably in the next, I'm guessing, month, two months at the most, and we're looking forward to that Sunday. But each talk really is to install, if you will, is to is to put in place something that will help to define and determine where we're going. And today is another one of those. We've touched on this very lightly. And I just want to say one thing before we get into the talk today. And, and I don't know about you, but whenever I hear a talk, whether it's five minutes or it's a full-blown talk, I do my best to go, this is for me, it's not for the person next to me. Or it's for someone that's not here. Oh man, that person should have been here this Sunday. We all do that. I mean, and, and it's okay. But if I miss the whole point, like it's actually for me personally, then I can deflect it elsewhere. 
And today's talk is really not about the person next to you. It's not even for your spouse. And it's not for that significant other that you hope they get it. Today's talk is for you. So I want to encourage you, as you listen today, get rid of those filters or those deflections that you're like, oh, so-and-so really needs to hear. And they probably do, and you're not wrong. But today, I know that if we take this to heart, that if we get the heart and the soul of what I'm going to talk about today, it's going to help create something that we've been dreaming about. Have you ever had an idea or a question that kind of haunts you? Like it just won't let you go. It's not like you're holding on to it, it's holding on to you. Have you ever had that kind of idea where like, it doesn't matter what I do, I can't seem to get away from this idea or this concept. You dream about it, you think about it, you wonder is this even possible? And you get glimpses of it. And so today, that's what today is for me. And you know, Starbucks, and I understand coffee has come a long way since Starbucks came to the scene. So if you are a craft coffee person, please don't be offended at all. And I realize some of you are still in the Starbucks phase, and that's great, and I'm happy for you. I really am. And I grew up on Folgers and MG, I mean, I grew up on the canned coffee. I started drinking coffee when I was in Mexico, when I lived down there, worked down there, and every morning at 6 a.m., the guy who ran the ministry and his son and I would get up and we would study one Proverbs every morning, and we would drink tons of cheap coffee. So my, my range of what kind of coffee I drink, it's very broad because I started out that way. Now, if you want to know if I like craft, like picky, like really special, snobby coffee, the answer is yes. But there are times where that's not an option. And Starbucks is the only option. <laughs> I'm just trying to touch every person in here, the snobbies all the way to the, this level of coffee. But anyways, Starbucks built its entire success on this concept called the third place. Their entire business model was actually built around that idea of a third place. Howard Schultz, who founded it and is still the existing CEO, he noticed something when he went to Italy and he went to these espresso bars all over Italy. And he noted that these espresso bars all over Italy were places that community came. People gathered and interacted. And it was not home and it wasn't work. They say the first place is your home. The second place is your work. But the third place is the place where you interact with all kinds of different people and you function and act differently in that third place. Like in your home, you function a certain way. In your work, you function a certain way. But in this third place, you're different. In many cases, your guards are lower. You're more relaxed. You're actually, you're more dynamic because you're interacting with different kinds of people in a very different setting. And so Howard Schultz, the founder of Starbucks, was inspired by this. And so they built their entire business model on that Starbucks goal was to become the third place for as many people as possible. And honestly, in the 90s and early 2000s, they were incredibly successful at it. I mean, everybody wanted to hold a Starbucks cup. And even if it was empty, they would still hold it. Because <laughs> it was a little bit of status. It was like a symbol, like, 
And so much so that they just continue to make cups that you can buy and reuse over and over with the logo. I mean, Starbucks was successful in creating that third place. Now, it might not be your third place. Your third place might be the gym. For Reva, it's Rockbox. She's not in here right now, and that's why I said it. So don't tell her what I just said. For some of you, it's online gaming. For some of you, it's CrossFit. For some of you, it's, it's another space. It's the golf course. It's wherever. It's outside of your home and your work. It's the third place. And it's a beautiful place. But what's interesting about this concept of first, second, and third place, there's a common denominator in all three spaces. You. You are the common denominator in the first place, the second place, and the third place. And what's interesting about this is we as humans create spaces and places. And the thing about you is you can't get away from you. Some of you want to get away from yourself, but you can't. Some of us move to other cities hoping to get away from ourselves, but guess what? You came with you. Like you just cannot get away from yourself. As much as you try, as much as you try to cut that you off, that you is always going to be with you. What's my point? There's something more dynamic than first place, second place, and third place. And just for context, I'm going to call you zero place. Because the number zero is the foundation of one, two, three, and so on and so forth. So what's happening in that zero place, which is you, helps to determine what takes place in the first place, the second place, and the third place. So you are actually a very important ingredient in spaces and places. I want you to understand this. Like when you step into a space, you is happening. What's going on inside you is coming out in that environment. No matter how hard you try or don't try, you will always happen. This is beautiful and tragic because if you're not aware of this, you're, you're just not aware that you're actually creating environments. You're creating a home. You're creating a workplace, and you're actually affecting that third place. And I want to, there's a lot of angles to today, so I'm just hoping that you get several aspects of my heart today. I have one goal in mind today, but there are several checkpoints along the way. But you always happen to the places you're in. So if you are dealing with tons of anxiety and angst and stress, guess what? Your home is probably going to experience that. You might be able to stuff it and compartmentalize it real well, but the people that know you real well can look past that facade and say, I know what that is. It's nice in the workspace because most people don't know you that well in the workspace. But it's very fascinating. Even as much as you try to facade it, cover it, or suppress it, that angst will come out. But let's say you're really joyful, like you're just really joyful. You're naturally joyful or you have paid the price to be joyful. Guess what? It's going to come out in all these spaces. So there's actually a responsibility on each of us to own this zero place, and that's yourself. That's this idea that everywhere I go, I am experiencing and I'm causing an experience. I'm creating an experience for another person or the environment that I'm in. Don't, don't think that you can just go to work, go home, or go to your third place and you don't affect it. Or don't think that nothing affects you. 
It's one of the biggest mistakes we make in life when we actually don't think we impact the environment in, we're in or we don't think the environment impacts us. And as Jesus followers, this is actually a whole nother dimension of our relationship with him. That when I'm following Jesus, I'm actually representing and bringing Jesus into that space everywhere I go. And one of the things I love about studying the life of Jesus is this. He was brilliant at the zero place. He was brilliant at creating and managing and living his life in such a way that it created a home for humanity. Jesus created homes for people to live in. And as Jesus followers, we have the exact same privilege, responsibility, and let me put it this way, opportunity is to become a home for humanity. But what's even more intriguing to me, and this is what I want to get to is this, is that Jesus is perfect, without sin, without blemish. In Christian terms, we say holy, holiness. So Jesus was the most holy perfect, without blemish, person that's ever walked the face of the earth. So here we have Jesus, the representation of perfection. Nothing's wrong. It's pure as pure can be. Jesus wasn't just holy. He actually is holiness. And one of the challenges we have in Christian context and Christian worldviews is sometimes we're striving to be holy, but it's actually not about you becoming holy. It's about the holiness of Jesus. There's a really powerful verse in Romans that said, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's not your repentance that leads you to his kindness. So that when you are experiencing this holiness, this beauty, this purity that's on the life of Jesus, and not just in scripture, but in the person of Jesus, the natural response is to repent of anything in your life that you have not submitted to him. That's how Jesus could become a home for humanity. But what makes this fascinating to me is that Jesus in his perfectness, his holiness, anyone that was considered a sinner or tax collector. Now you might wonder why in scripture did they sinner and tax collector? Why didn't they just say sinners? Why did the tax collectors get a category of all their own? Now if you're a tax collector now, I apologize. I, I apologize, you, you got a bad rap, especially if you were working in the Roman context. But it was like, there's sinners, and then there's these guys and gal called tax collectors. It was the same category and level as sinners. But what's interesting to me is Jesus in his perfection became a home for people that were incredibly imperfect. What takes it to another level for me is Jesus constantly preached a message, repent, repent, repent. And the same people that needed to hear that message strive to be around Jesus. So we have to ask ourselves some questions. Are sinners and tax collectors, or a much easier phrase would be, are broken people wanting to be around me? Is my holiness happening in such a way that it's creating a home for humanity? Or is my holiness creating a clear line of demarcation? You're not welcome. 
And the challenge we have in the, today's context is that holiness has been more about separation from humanity instead of creating a home for humanity. Now, it depends on what circle you're in and what background and upbringing that you have or had or having. You, your, your value system, most likely, if you're following Jesus, you're, you're looking to be someone that's pure and holy. You're like, I want to be pure. I want to be without sin. I want to be without blemish. So we live with the deep conviction on what's right and what's wrong. And just to be clear, there is clear morals. Even in today's society, moral relativism is becoming the god of our society. Even as morals become less clear and they become muddier and muddier. But for people that truly follow Jesus, there is a moral right and wrong. So I don't want to diminish that, but I want to show you something. It's amazing to me how deep our convictions go. We seem to lack empathy for humanity. We seem to accentuate what's right and what's wrong. We celebrate our holiness, if you will. We put it up on the pedestal and it becomes a moral high ground. So anyone that comes across our path that is not on the same level of morality or holiness as ourselves, we seem to look down upon them and have no empathy for their situation. The challenge is we've been taught to have empathy for someone. Culture teaching us today to have empathy means to condone. It's to say, that's okay. You're this, the lifestyle that you're living in, I'm okay with that. I have empathy for you. That's not the empathy of the kingdom. The empathy of the kingdom understands that we're broken. That we have sin going on. But we also know who can take care of that that we actually have dreams and aspirations to see humanity become whole again. It's not, I'm okay with your sin. It is, I know the pathway. I want to introduce you to a man named Jesus who can forgive all your sins, who can forgive all your sins and bring you into a place of wholeness. So this idea of holiness and empathy, as much as our conviction, as deep as our convictions go, our empathy should be just as deep. As much as you feel passionate about what's right and what's wrong, what's sin and what's not sin, as strong and as loud and as passionate you are, your empathy should be just as loud. I think sometimes we forget how broken we are. I think sometimes we just don't remember our own stories. We don't remember those moments. For some of you, you may be even following Jesus your entire life and the memories are becoming more distant and more distant of the old, that one moment when you recognize you were so broken as a person. You were so worn down by sin and brokenness. But it's been so long since you've experienced that because you've been living and following Jesus for years and years and years that you've forgotten your own story of what led you to Jesus. And so now we've gotten to this place where we live in moral superiority to the rest of humanity. And we forgot what it's like to be someone in a broken place 
We've forgotten what it's like to be in that space, so we have no empathy, no compassion. All we have is judgment. So if we want to become a home for humanity, it doesn't mean we become less holy. It doesn't mean we become okay with sin. No, it means that we actually elevate holiness to its rightful spot, but we also recognize that we need to have a heart of empathy for humanity. Because when I look at the life of Jesus, I see a guy that was touching the wealthiest, the most powerful people, elite people of the day, all the way to the poorest of the poor. All the way to people that had this political view to this political view. Jesus was touching and interfacing with all of society. There's a couple passages of scripture I want to read to you. So Jesus became a home to humanity. If you have your Bible, go to John chapter 3. We're going to read a quick little story here about a guy who's actually one of my favorite characters in, in the story of Jesus because little, very, very, not very many people understand the role that this guy played later on in Jesus' life. It's, it's this obscure little verse in the gospel. But here we have this moment where Jesus is at night. And as you're turning to John chapter 3, there were two very, um, they were often mentioned in the gospel, it's the Pharisees and Sadducees. And these were two different religious sects. And these two religious groups have different, different views and different theologies and doctrines. Now the Pharisees had a very, um, let me just tell you what the Pharisees specifically, what they believed in. It was an ancient Jewish group that carefully observed the written law, but also accepted the oral or traditional law. They also advocated for the democratization of religious practices. So this is a very devout group of people. They believe in a set of belief, traditional as well as oral, and specifically when it comes to Judaism. And when they, they were incredibly devout, they were incredibly committed, and this was one of the groups of people that constantly Jesus had an issue with. So there's one moment, and you're in John 3, but let me read you a passage in Matthew. This is Jesus talking to Pharisees. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. So this is what Jesus would say to Pharisees. You hypocrite, you clean the outside, you appear well, but on the inside you're full of brokenness and sin. So let me just safely say that Jesus had a unique perspective on Pharisees. Now in John chapter three, let's read in verse one. Now there was a Pharisee a man named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Stop right there. He was a very powerful Pharisee. Verse 2, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who had come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Verse 3, Jesus replied, very true, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Verse 4, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Now, the rest of the passage we're not going to read, but Jesus basically said, how do you not know these things? You are the teacher of Israel. 
So here we have a Pharisee who, in another instant, Jesus said, you're hypocrites. So let's ask the question, why did he meet with Nicodemus? What's interesting, he met with him at night. Nicodemus found Jesus at night. Nicodemus was confronted with the reality. He only had part of the truth. He wanted to know the whole truth. And he knew this man, Jesus, had the rest of the truth. So he found him at night. Now, some of us have a hard time with that part. Why did he go to Jesus at night? Why didn't he show up in the temple in the light of the day? You have to understand, some people, the dynamic that they are in, if they were to actually show up in public in this context, he would have lost his position of influence, he would have lost his job, and he would have lost his role. No respect would be given to him anymore. So he found Jesus at night. This is what I want to say to you. We have no idea who's crying out to Jesus at night. We have not a clue who tonight, someone that you previously ridiculed is actually crying out to Jesus. So be careful on what stones you're throwing. Be careful on what judgments you're making towards people. Be careful because you have no idea if that person tonight is in their bed weeping, crying out to see if God is actually real. And yet the very people, you and I, that are designed to become a home for humanity are judging them, ridiculing them. This is why he had to go to Jesus at night, because there was no contact, there was no home for him to ask these kinds of questions. So holiness is not about separating yourself from humanity, it's separating yourself from sin. But holiness actually married with empathy. You can become a home for humanity. You can become a home for the religious elites. You can become a home for the adulterous woman caught in the middle of adultery. You can become a home for the guy that's on a mat for 38 years waiting to get in the pool to get healed. You can become a home for that guy. You can become a home for people if you would understand the holiness it's meant to help you become a home for humanity. So Jesus stayed up all night with this guy, someone he called the hypocrite. And I think it's cool that Nicodemus got over that. It's like, yeah, maybe I am a hypocrite. But he still found Jesus. What is it about the person of Jesus that was clearly pure and perfect, but yet people wanted to be around it, even in the midst of their own brokenness? So questions we have to ask ourselves are people that are living lifestyles, that are living in choosing to live in sin, or broken, are they clamoring to be in your life? This is a great challenge for us. It's a really big challenge for us. Are all the people in my life, are they complete Jesus followers? Is there anybody in my life that's not? Because guess what? You and I are designed to become a home for humanity. So in order for us to become a home, for humanity, we have to become more dynamic. We have to become more multidimensional. We have to understand that there's actually a responsibility on each of us. And the first thing I've already mentioned, we must remember our own story of brokenness. We can't ever forget that. It's not that we become sin conscious. It's just remember, just we can't, remember, can't forget that we need to be Jesus conscious and understand this is what he's done for us. 
And secondly, we need to understand that it was the ultimate sacrifice of love, the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus dying on the cross, raising from the grave, ascending back to the Father. It was that entire act that allowed us to be redeemed out of our brokenness. And lastly, but not leastly, we have to understand we're actually on an assignment from Jesus to be dynamic in how we interact with humanity, to be able to interact with all of humanity, to actually understand that everyone has a unique story. And our goal as followers of Jesus is to be spiritually formed by him in every area of our life, whether it's our mind and our thoughts, our soul and our will and our bodies, and our sexualities, and our actions. Each of those areas have to be submitted to Jesus so he can form us in each of those areas. And I think for some of us, maybe Jesus is forming us in these areas, but we haven't submitted other areas. And in a day and age where more relativism is the God of the air, I get to decide what's right or wrong. In this day and age, let's become people that are incredibly passionate about becoming holy. That our standards don't get reduced down to the standard of culture. That our standards remain high. And where do we go for that? It's Jesus. It's the scriptures. But let's also not forget that we're actually designed to become a home for humanity. And this is where the empathy comes into play. Understanding that I'm actually designed to be a space for someone that's living in sin or brokenness. They can come and be in this place. They're invited into my life, and I am a place where someone can experience something they long for. Why don't you stand? So today, I want to challenge us as individuals, and hopefully you didn't think about someone else that should hear this message. <laughs> hopefully you took it to heart. But in all seriousness, this is a really important block in the foundation of studio. This is a, I, I don't know if I can emphasize that enough. We will constantly be reverting back and referencing this talk right here. Because I guarantee you, this space will be filled with people that are broken. Filled with people that are lost. I remember this was years ago. Candace and I were youth pastors at the time. And I was on a phone call with a, a school, basically a ministry-type school. And we had a young gal in our youth group at the time, beautiful person, wonderful family, and she was mid-high school, late high school, getting ready to graduate. But she was making some pretty, you know, bummer choices about her life. And not just small ones, ones that determine the course of your life. And we were trying to find a way to get her out of the town that we were in. When you go up in a small, small town, like 3,000 people, sometimes the best thing for you is to leave. Because it just becomes a little bit small. And so we, I was on a phone call. I was a recommendation for her to go to this mini school school in another part of the country. And I'm on the phone. And I'm, I'm, I'm being honest. I said, listen, she, she made some really bummer decisions. But she's at a point now where she wants to get right with the Lord. And she wants to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. 
And I'm telling her this, I'm being vulnerable with somebody that Candace and I have given our life to. And the person on the phone said, oh, I thought there was a revival going on there. And I remember like, what does that have to do with what I'm telling you right now? And I realized this is what she thought. Oh, when there's revival, that means no one's broken. I have news for you. When God moved, brokenness showed up from everywhere. If you think when God moved, everything become just perfect and clean and pure, you are greatly mistaken. When God shows up, things actually get messier. They get chaotic. They get out of control. You're like, what did we get ourselves into? You got yourself involved in becoming a home for humanity. And that's what Jesus was. He was creating confusion and chaos. Broken people were yelling for him. And I remember hanging up the phone, and I was so bewildered by like, what is she? Oh, she doesn't realize that when you're designed to be a place for remove of God, for God to show up, guess what? Broken people will come from anywhere in the world to get into that space. So I want to tell you right now, the future of this house, there's going to be lots of people entering in this room for long term and some for just a moment. And some of them will be people that you have seen on TV or seen in the news or seen in the media. And it's in those moments that we become a place. We become a home for humanity. We refrain from taking selfies. We refrain from pointing fingers that look who showed up. No, we protect that person. Allow them to come into this space because this is a home for humanity. You are a home for humanity. Your life is a space and a place that you are fully in charge of. And guess what? You can become a space and a place where humanity can come in and meet who's formed you. So, Father, I pray for this house. I pray that this talk today doesn't end today. It actually begins something new in our heart. It would expand our views. It would expand our perspective. It would actually move us into a space to be a dynamic community of Jesus followers. That we were designed to interface with people from all aspects of society and culture. And I pray this room becomes a space for people to come and feel at home. But I pray more importantly, our lives, our own workplaces, our own homes, our own third places become places that humanity can experience you who has formed us. That we become personally home for humanity. Thanks for listening, and we hope this talk benefits you in every way possible. For more information about Studio, you can go to studiogreenville.com or go to Instagram and look for studio.greenville. We would also love it if you would leave a review and hit those five stars. Other than that, have a great week, and we'll see you soon.